We're continuing on in this series of habits and the habits for life, the habits of Jesus. And as I said last week, we've all got habits, whether they are good, bad, indifferent. We may struggle with them. We may be excited about them and everything in between. And so last week we focused on the habit of prayer of where Jesus was showing us how that really connects to our identity, how it begins to change us and transform us as we have this habit of praying, not just for ourselves, but alongside with others. And today we are focusing, moving on to this habit of joy. And when we think of the habits of Jesus, that may not be really the first one that comes to mind. And it may be, you know, we think of prayer, or we think of how he healed people, how he fed people, how he was with them. But this sense of creating joy is a habit that permeates everything he does and really gives life to some of his most important teachings that it is directly connected. And so in the verses we're reading today, we are looking at this habit of creating joy and how might we have a habit of creating joy, especially with what I said last week, right? That we are created in love for joy and peace. That that's what we are created to do in this world. And so how do we begin then to have this habit of creating joy? Beginning in Luke, the eighth chapter, verses 49 through 56. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house saying to Jairus, Your daughter has died. Don't bother the teacher any longer. When Jesus heard this, he responded, Don't be afraid. Just keep trusting and she will be healed. When he came to the house, he didn't allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. They were all crying and mourning for her, but Jesus said, don't cry. She isn't dead. She's only sleeping. They laughed at him because they knew she was dead. Taking her hand, Jesus called out, child, get up. Her life returned and she got up at once. He directed them to give her something to eat. Her parents were beside themselves with joy, but he ordered them to tell no one what had happened. All right, so the story gets set up. It's a healing story. It's a resurrection story before Jesus' resurrection. And so it is a story about giving life. And sometimes we get caught up in the details and we forget the overarching narrative of this, of Jesus is giving life even when everybody else said impossible. In fact, they laughed at him. When he's like, no, no, I'm bringing life to this situation. And it's, it's one of those things where they're in a moment. The people around him are in the depths of despair. They are feeling like everything is falling down around them. Their world is falling apart. They are in grief. It is a tragic story. And yet Jesus brings them joy when Jesus brings them life. And so to begin to even think about that for ourselves, because 
We live in a world right now that is all about scarcity and how it's falling apart and how there is despair. And if we start talking about hope, people may laugh at us. If we start looking at and going, wait a minute, I think there's some beauty here. I think there's some good here. We get pushback, right? Because the narrative right now is it's all falling apart. People are dying. There is sickness and ill health. And the first century would go, yeah, we know that. Like, that's the world we live in. They live in a Roman-occupied territory. They live with the threat of disease that the smallest of things could kill them. They live in deep uncertainty. There is not enough food. There is never enough water. And so they understand that focus of scarcity. And here Jesus is like, hold up a second. There is life even when you think it's impossible. And now none of us are Jesus. None of us are Jesus, but, but we are being asked to follow, to be guided, to live like Jesus. And so how do we begin to think about, if we're going to take up this habit of joy, how do we begin to think about how we are giving life? Because giving life is connected to creating joy. And Jesus ends this with talking about, you know, don't go out and tell anybody. And you're like, wait a minute, is this really a secret? And it may be because they need context to the story. He doesn't want it out of context. He doesn't want anybody thinking that this is some magic that they can't participate in, that this is somehow something supernatural. And obviously somebody talks about it or it wouldn't be written in the book. It wouldn't be written into the story. And so we begin to get the sense that there is more to it, that it's not just about what Jesus can do in the moment, but it begins to challenge how we think about life, how we think about giving life in the face of a narrative of scarcity. The world is falling apart. There is only despair. When people are ready to laugh at us for going, no, there still is hope. There is still beauty. There is still good in the world. And people are like, yeah, right, whatever. Like, you, you're just, you know. And so how do we begin to think about what it means to give life? What it means to have the habit of joy created to giving life. That each of us can bring life to a situation, can bring life to other people, can bring life wherever we are. Because we are embodying the life of Jesus in our words and in our actions. So to help us understand that is our next passage, Luke 10, verses 17 through 24. The 72 returned joyously saying, Lord, even the demons submit themselves to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority to crush snakes and scorpions underfoot. I have given you authority over all power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice because the spirits submit to you. Rejoice instead that your names are written in heaven. At that very moment, Jesus overflowed with joy from the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and shown them to babies. Indeed, Father, this brings you happiness. My Father has handed all things over to me. 
No one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wants to reveal him. Turning to the disciples, he said privately, Happy are the eyes that see what you see. I assure you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see and hear what you hear, but they didn't. So here, Jesus moves us into discussion, and there's some strong imagery, right? This, like, Satan fell from heaven like lightning, and he's trying to get us to understand that he has seen it all. He has seen these moments that he has experienced, and he understands where God triumphs over evil. And that he is telling the disciples, be careful, be careful about taking too much, like, getting reveling in that like oh you got what you got coming of being like oh look at me i'm all powerful and look what i can do to be very very careful here he is like don't take joy in destruction you need to be taking joy in the fact that god loves that God is calling, that I am calling you to a different way of living, not because you have power over, but instead take joy that you are connected to God, that you are able to be present with people, that you are able to bring love to people, that you are able to point to something that is good and loving and beautiful and to say to that which is evil, yeah, no, we are not focusing on that. We are not focusing on how the world is falling apart and, ooh, I got it, I overcame it, let me stomp it out. No. Jesus is saying right here to us, challenging us and going, be careful what you put your joy, where you take joy in, because it needs to be connected to love. It needs to be connected to that your name are written in heaven, that you are known, that we are known by God, that we were created in love for peace and joy, and that's, that's the foundation of our joy. And so here Jesus is calling to them, of saying, don't take satisfaction in destruction. You've got to take satisfaction in God. And so he's beginning to redirect us in how we begin to create that habit of joy, how we are present with others, how we give life to situations. It is not through destruction. It is through being connected to a creative, loving God. And he pushes us a little bit further in John 15, 9 through 15. As the Father loved me, I too have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. This is my commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than to give up one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I don't call you servants any longer because servants don't know what their master is doing. Instead, I call you friends because everything I heard from my father, I have made known to you. 
as the Father loved me, I too have loved you. That creating the habit of joy, that their joy will be complete, their joy will be understood when we live into that love, when we live into that commandment to love, to love one another. And we may be thinking, okay, like that is so contextual. How do we begin to do it? And there's this great passage from Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And it says, So this is my prayer, that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much, but well. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental gush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary. A life Jesus will be proud of, bountiful in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. So I just read that version of Philippians 1, 9 through 11 from the message because it gives us some contemporary language and it talks about kind of we are in, to be intelligent and sincere, not this sentimental gush, but to love, to live into that love so that our joy may be complete, is connected to these fruits from the soul, fruits also known as fruits of the Spirit. And so we begin to get this sense of creating joy when we are living into love, not just for ourselves, but in connection to one another, living into love as a community of being that very presence of God, of, of being that presence that Jesus kept teaching over and over to those who followed him and who keeps encouraging and challenging us in what it means for us today. And so if we're wondering, okay, what does this look like? How does life begin to flourish? How can we be that presence of love? How can we create that joy that is connected to life flourishing, that is connected to how we love? Philippians gives us that sense, but then Galatians 5, 22 through 23, and this is the Common English Bible translation, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Or as the message interprets. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity, we develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Having, having this habit of creating joy means that we are engaged in these things, these things, the fruits of the spirit, of the soul, that are 
connected to love, that are connected to a life that is thriving, that we are engaged in our words and our actions constantly in creating joy. That joy isn't just about feeling good and everything being fine because even the disciples are going to have a really hard road which we're about to get to. And so Jesus here is really challenging us, challenging us to love one another just as he loved all of us, to be giving ourselves over to the Spirit so that there are fruits, so that we produce things that ultimately create joy. Continuing on, <laughs> it helps if I actually pick up the right thing. Continuing on in John 16, 19 through 22, Jesus they wanted to ask him so he said are you trying to find out from each other what I meant when I said soon you won't see me and soon after that you will see me I assure you that you will cry and lament and the world will be happy you will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn into joy when a woman gives birth she has pain because her time has come but when the child is born, she no longer remembers her distress because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. In the same way, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and you will be overjoyed. No one, no one takes away your joy. Think about that for a moment. No one takes away our joy. This moment of Jesus going, I, I get it, I'm not about to be physically present with you, and there is going to be grief involved, there is a sense of loss, but you are going to be able to still have joy. You're still going to be able to live into love. You're going to be able to embody my teachings in the way that you act and react in this world. In fact, if you are dedicated to that, you begin to understand that no one can take away our joy, that it doesn't matter how much despair there is on the news. It does not matter who, who tries to disrupt our lives. It doesn't matter the events or the situations that surround us. No one can take away our joy unless we give it to them. And so if we're thinking, man, I haven't had joy in a while, who have we given our joy to? Who have we allowed? What situations and events have we allowed to take our joy away? Because Jesus is saying joy is ours to control. And I've said this before, we choose joy. Joy is not about the outside forces. It is about the way we carry ourselves, the way that we process the world around us in a sense that our identity is founded in a God who has created us in love for joy and peace. And the disciples, many, many of them are going to die as martyrs. They are going to experience horrific pain. Jesus is not taking away the pain of this world, but he is showing us how to live through to the very end, through all of our days. And we will begin to see that with the way the disciples, the apostles carry themselves. And so here to think about, if we aren't experiencing joy, who or what 
have we allowed to take it away from us? To control us? And why? Because there's very few things in this world that we get to control. Very few. And we always feel that angst, right, about what we get to control or what we don't. And so if we are in control of our joy, and Jesus is saying no one can take away our joy, and if we're not experiencing it, who and what have we given it to and why? And are we ready to say no more? You don't get my joy because my joy comes from God. No one can take away our joy. Finishing up in Luke 24, 46 through 53. He said to them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and a change of heart and life for the forgiveness of sins must be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Look, I'm sending to you what my father promised, but you are to stay in the city until you have been furnished with heavenly power. He led them out as far as Bethany, where he lifted his hands and blessed them. As he blessed them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem, overwhelmed with joy. And they were continuously in the temple Praising God. The end of Jesus' ministry in the sense that he is no longer physically present. And are they going to grieve? Absolutely. Absolutely. They are going to grieve that loss. And yet, they are filled with joy. That even as they recognize that Jesus is no longer no longer physically present with them, that they realize that the things that he lived, that they now embody, that he has given them a way forward in how to love, how to create community, how to be with one another, how to say, nope, my life is transformed and nobody gets to put a claim on it, that the narrative of their lives has changed from one where scarcity, despair, Anger, greed, and power were the things of the day were pulling at them, and now they get to be like, no, that is not who we are, that is not our identity, and we are going to live that to the end. And the apostles are going to go out, and many of them are going to be tortured and die in terrible pain, yet to the end, they are living with joy. They are creating joy. Because joy comes from God. Joy comes from knowing who they are in relationship to God. Joy comes from them saying, you know what? I'm going to help people around me. I'm going to help and I am going to be this presence of joy. No matter if somebody's laughing. No matter if somebody's telling me impossible. Because they have been transformed by the love of Jesus. They have been transformed by the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so this very notion of the habit of creating joy is very much tied up into how we understand ourselves. What are we willing to create? What are we willing to do? And how are we going to stand firm in the face of scarcity, despair, anger? The world is falling apart. Nothing's going right. I can't believe what's going on down the street of 
when our relationships begin to crumble, of when the events that we can't control edge in and there is pain, we are being called to stand firm and say, you still don't get my joy because I was created by God in love for joy and peace. My identity is wrapped up in that. My strength comes from knowing that God will not leave me no matter what. That to the end of my days, God is with us. And there, there we find the transformative power of the life, death, and resurrection. And so how will we begin? How will we be challenged from this moment as we go forth from this moment into our everyday lives? How will we begin to have the habit of creating joy? How will we create joy? Because no one, no one can take away our joy because it's from God.